Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. One of the most common findings we'll come across when charting is discovering cracks in teeth. Now here comes the conundrum of how bad is that crack? Should we fix it and how do we go about fixing it? Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name is Erica Huynh and in this episode we sit down with Dr. Michael Mandikos, a specialist prosthodontist to crack the code. We talk about diagnosing cracks and how to manage them and we tackle the age-old debate of do you chase the crack? Dr. Manikos is another one of our stellar lineup speakers for the Dental Summit event being held next year, September 1st and 2nd. So keep your eyes and ears peeled to hear more about the speakers and about the event. But in the meantime, let's take it away with Dr. Manikos to answer the question of what to do about the cracked tooth. It is a good topic and I suspect that a fair bit of the uh, diagnosing that a dentist does in general practice relates to cracks in teeth. There's a good review paper that was uh, done by Bill Kaler. He's an endodontist based in Brisbane, and the, the date escapes me, but I don't think it was that long ago, somewhere within the last 10 years, I, I suspect in the Australian Dental Journal, but Bill Kaler, K-A-H-L-E-R, and, and that, that certainly is, is a really nice paper for an overview of cracks. Uh, I think that we can sort of define cracks in, in two different ways. I mean, firstly, the crack itself is a separation in the tooth structure, so Whilst we might see the line, which we sort of see as an optical representation of the crack, certainly at the structural level, it's a separation. So the tooth's in two parts. The question really then is how far does that crack extend? If it extends from the top of the tooth to the roots, then you've, you've separated the tooth into two parts. You've got a vertical root fracture. If the crack is, um, starts on the surface and moves into the tooth, or if it starts within the cavity form and moves outwards, then it's a partial separation of the tooth. And ultimately, we see lots of cracks. We see cracks that are due to normal function. And when I say that, that would be um, usually, uh, for example, if you look at your central incisors in the mirror, most people will see vertical cracks in the enamel of their teeth, usually without any staining. And they're basically expansion contraction uh, cracks as the enamel thermocycles uh, in function. And so that, that's quite normal. Horizontal cracks in the same tooth would be more indicative of, of some sort of trauma in the past. But those sorts of cracks we accept and we know that, that um, you, you might not want them there, but they're probably not that detrimental to the tooth and they certainly don't need any treatment. Uh, in posterior teeth, we see cracks around cavity margins. Sometimes we see cracks emanating through uh, unrestored teeth. And again, it, it, it's a tricky one because you'd like to know how deep the crack is. Depending on its depth, it might... Um, give you some suggestion that you should restore it but generally speaking and, and this is this is my sort of interpretation and based on you know some clinical experience if you're seeing cracks emanating out from restorations <clears throat> and they're not particularly stained and the the tooth otherwise seems sound we, we, we would note them but probably not get too excited about it if we saw cracks that were quite stained and then we start to sort of wonder how long they've been there. And of course, the longer they've been there, the more chance they're propagating deeper into the tooth. So now we start to get a little bit more concerned about the crack itself and, and the prognosis of the tooth and maybe whether or not we should intervene. And then if you have cracks with symptoms, then obviously you need to intervene. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you raised before is probably like my biggest question and the thing that I, I question myself a lot when seeing patients is just, oh, I see a crack, but then is that okay to leave or should we be intervening? And when is it a craze line or when is it a crack? Are there ways that you can 
diagnose it, like using light or is it really based on what you're saying about the history of the tooth and seeing how stained it is and whether it presents with symptoms? I, I'm sure people have different views on it. So, and now I'm not speaking from necessarily an evidence base that, that I can put my finger to. But but the first thing that I would be thinking about is, is probably, I mean, and, and if you have the benefit of having seen the patient a few times, it's great because you know if a crack's new. But if you see the patient for the first time and the crack looks dark, it looks stained, it conjures up sinister thoughts in your mind, you know, I, I'm very much thinking of, of intervention. If the crack is dark or isn't dark, but it is associated with symptoms in the tooth, then we're definitely intervening. But when the crack just has that slightly more benign look and you see quite a lot of them in the patient in the same patient's mouth, normally I, I sort of flag it with the patient. I let them know that it's there. I let them know that it's not uncommon to, to be associated, particularly in a restored tooth, and particularly if the restoration is non-bonded. So I'm talking about an amalgam restoration versus a, a well-placed composite then often I'll just sort of say to the patient that there is definitely um, some damage to the tooth. I, I can't tell you that it will proceed and it'll proceed in a rapid or, or a slow period of time, but you know there are options to treat this which are quite conservative and that, and that can be just to remove the restoration, which also gives us a better view inside the tooth to see where that crack goes and then place a bonded restoration minimally to hold the tooth together. Why is it that... Um there's a predilection for cracks t- um, to form near those like amalgam restorations. So essentially, the biomechanics is, has been well studied. Um, so, so we know that when you uh, load a tooth, uh, whether it's restored or not, the cusps exhibit cuspal independence. That goes back to Bill Douglas's research. Um, when you then remove dentine bridges within the tooth, so essentially when you remove a marginal ridge or caries does that for you, uh, or you do an endodontic access, then you remove the structural integrity of the tooth and the cuspal flexure increases. Um, as a result of that, it's, it's not surprising that, that if you flex the cusps enough, a crack will form and the crack will form at the point of higher stress concentration usually. And that'll normally be at the base of the cavity preparation, particularly if we've followed good old school GV black principles and created undercuts with inverted cone burrs. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief. Sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. So when we go about now, we, okay, we've decided, okay, we see a crack and it looks a little bit more sinister. We want to intervene. Is there a little bit of a process of how much you go by? So would you start off with like reducing the cusps or would you ever ortho band them, do composite? And then at what point do you decide, oh, this tooth needs a crown really? How do we go about restoring these cracked teeth? If you're making the uh, decision to intervene, then you've had the discussion with the patient to say, look, 
I know you don't have any symptoms, but I'm you know trying to advise you that that I can see weakness in the tooth. You know, it's cracked. So we're going to try to do the most conservative thing we can, and that is to remove the old non-bonded restoration and put in something which will hopefully glue the sides of the tooth back together, stiffen the tooth back up and limit the cuspal flexure and therefore limit the chance of, of uh, crack propagation. But, and here's the, here's the proviso, you know, we may remove the restoration and better visualize the crack and actually see that it continues into the tooth and it continues in a very unfavorable way. Now, whether I remove the restoration or not, that crack is there. So it's not like the intervention is causing that problem. It's more or less telling the patient, look, you know, you have to understand that we're going to endeavor to just restore your tooth, but we might find it's worse than we thought. And then we're sort of obliged to do the most appropriate treatment. So I think if you're treating somebody who's asymptomatic, it's not, it's not that you're doing elective treatment. I mean, there's a reason for doing it. But of course, they need to be made aware that your treatment plan may change once you've seen inside the tooth. And to me, that, that's the, the real discussion to have. Uh, if the patient consents to start with, then they're interested in the longevity of their tooth and they're interested um, you know, in, in something that can intervene and perhaps protect the tooth. And if they're interested in that, then hopefully they're interested in a more comprehensive treatment if it's necessary. So if you take the restoration out and you can see that the crack just runs down the marginal ridge and it doesn't sort of come into the floor of the cavity, you know, almost all the time I'd, I'd be bonding a composite back into the tooth. But if you take the restoration out and you see a, a crack line running from the mesial marginal ridge across the pulpal floor and it's almost made its way to the distal, um, you're going to be saying to that patient, you, you've got the makings of a mesiodistal fracture, which will split the tooth in half. You didn't have any symptoms. We, we were lucky. You know, uh, We'll take this opportunity now to, to put coverage on this tooth, and, and that means a crown, You know, and hopefully hold it together. Um, in terms of when we're talking about the technical side, okay, of preparing this tooth then, how much of the crack do we get rid of, or is it more so just about holding it together? Yeah, your question, Erica, really is the um, the adage of chasing the crack. Um, and so then we would try to classify cracks. Um, Didi Adichie um, some years ago put together a nice classification, uh, and I refer to that a lot of the time. Um, and to give it a plug, he'll be here actually talking about a lot of things like this uh, next in November. But um, but he, he kind of referred to the cracks that are limited to marginal ridge cracks. Uh, and you see those a lot and, and you take out an old restoration and you can see the crack runs down the marginal ridge. You can't see the proximal surface. So you, you don't know how far down the marginal ridge externally it goes. It might go to the gingival level. It might go subgingival. It might go right down the root surface. Um, we can never really know unless you drill it out. And the problem becomes, at this point, you've got no symptoms to indicate that that crack's terrible. And you know that you could bond the tooth back together, uh, or at least improve the, the, the physical properties of the tooth compared to what was there before, just by, by placing good composite. So that's what I would tend to do. Because if you now go chasing that crack and you drill out the marginal ridge, and the crack keeps going down. So you drill down to the gingival level and the crack keeps going down. And you think, well, I'll just go another half millimeter or millimeter subgingival and the crack's still going down. Now comes the question, well, do you stop there? Because your intention was to drill out the crack. And it's like, oh, no, no, I'll stop there. Well, why would you stop there? Well, because now it's subgingival. 
it's like, yeah, but you want to remove the cracks. So did you achieve anything? Because now you've actually made a really difficult restoration. You, you've, you've increased the technical uh, sensitivity of that restoration to bond down at that level. And if you don't do it, you create symptoms from, from leakage of the, the composite or you create micro-leakage and then subsequent caries. I mean, you've sort of increased the complexity of that problem. The one thing I suppose I, I probably should have said is we do have literature that shows cracks are contaminated by biofilms. So there's bacteria in them. So that crack that we were looking at that's gone subgingival, that hasn't split the tooth in half, that hasn't caused symptoms, will have bacteria in it anyway. So unless you knew the crack stopped at the gingiva and you drilled down the marginal ridge and then the crack was gone, then there's no point in chasing it. So generally speaking, I wouldn't chase the crack that runs down the marginal ridge. Then you've got the crack when you remove the cavity, which runs out from the cavity floor under a cusp, and we call those a transverse crack. Um, and and Diddy would, would classify that as the least concerning crack. Um, it runs away from the pulp, so it's not taking bacteria closer to the pulp. And sadly, worst case scenario, if that crack continues and becomes complete, then generally a cusp falls off. And sometimes that cusp will be subgingival and catastrophic, but mostly it'll be supergingival or equigingival and quite restorable. Now, again, if you could really see when you took the, the cavity, uh, sorry, took the restoration out, if you could see that that crack was just about complete, you know, it runs out, it runs under the cusp, you can just about see it coming out to the labial, then maybe that's the one time you might actually drill the excess tooth structure away and, uh, and eliminate the crack altogether. And that sort of then brings us to the, to the last category where, you know, if you remove the restoration and you see the mesiodistal crack, then, then you proceed to, to full coverage. So you proceed to essentially a crown or minimally, uh, you know, an onlay that, that sufficiently engages the buckle and the lingual of the tooth to hold the tooth together in function. So when we're doing that full cuspal coverage and we're doing the margins of our crown prep, would you then be extending that, I guess, again, like chasing the crack or would it be above it? At, where do you end your mind? Again, I, I generally wouldn't chase the crack itself. That transverse crack, if you can see it running under a cusp and you still have a reason to restore this tooth with full coverage, then that might be the time where you extend the margin of the restoration over that, that crack. You know, you can see where the crack is. You remove the cracked tooth and the cracked part of the tooth and, and away you go. Um, but, but as I was saying before, I'd, I'd probably be you know, still looking at maybe restoring those sorts of teeth with direct composite. But when you've got the mesiodistal crack, um, you, know, you can't really chase that crack margin into proximally down too far because, again, you don't know how, how deep it goes proximally. So you, you could, in the classic old school way, you could have an onlay that only just covers a little bit of the buckle and a little bit of the palatal or the lingual and it goes all the way to the gingival margin, mesially and distally, you know, a good old-fashioned onlay. Or you might have an onlay that, that doesn't go very far into proximally if, if um, there's no caries. So, yeah, lesson takeaway, don't chase the crack. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that would be the advice I'd give people is don't, don't chase the crack unless you can see where it ends and you know you can actually remove it. And that, that doesn't happen too often. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. 
presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. Dr. Mandikos, do you feel like there are any mistakes that you often see with people managing cracks or common mistakes that new grads may miss yeah, well, in terms of these crack teeth? <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the biggest common mistake, I mean, no one's going to miss a tooth that's symptomatic and then see a crack and then and then proceed. But um, probably the biggest mistake is to be knowledgeable enough to see the crack, to recognise that it can be a problem, may not be a major problem now, but you might be able to prevent a major problem by intervening. And then being good enough to see that there's quite a few teeth in the same patient's mouth that all have this situation. And the problem actually becomes when you communicate that to the patient <laughs> and you, you, say, you see the patient for the first time and you say, look, you know, your teeth are all right, but there's six teeth here with cracks, you know, and, and they're all going to need their fillings replaced and they could turn into crowns. And I mean, that patient's going to walk out and say, I had no symptoms and this crazy young dentist thinks I need all of these fillings and crowns I don't know what's going on at that practice, but I'm not going back. And that's um, that's probably the big mistake. And if that happens, you know, you lose the patient. And sadly, the patient loses the ability to have treatment that could could save their teeth in the future. So that's, I think, a case of um, seeing, noting, raising awareness to the patient, not necessarily recommending any treatment, just sort of saying these are things and this is what can happen. We're just going to keep tabs on it. And then hopefully... <laughs> because most of those cracks didn't happen in the last six months. You know, they've been there for many years. Hopefully nothing catastrophic happens in the next six to 12 months before the patient returns for the next checkup. And then that patient, you know, comes back and next time around, you've got a bit of uh, rapport with them because you've seen them before. And say, remember, we were talking about those cracks. You know, this one here, oh gosh, it's a little bit darker than the other ones. It, it does, does concern me. I've seen a few break like that. Show them a photo if you've got it. You know, what do you think of if we just change this one over? A bit prophylactic, but but you know, it'll save a catastrophe. And hopefully they go with that. And then bit by bit you sort of do the others as the years go by. And I think that's that's probably the, the best approach to it because it, you know, you go in all guns blazing, nine out of ten patients are gonna be like, you know, well, why are they recommending all this treatment? I've got no problems. Previous dentist didn't say anything. Um, you know, and then they don't come back. Yeah, I think you make a good point about how it didn't happen in the last six months. These have probably been there for a while and they may not have known it. And for you to jump the gun and tell them they need all, all these, of them, all, yeah. this treat, all of them done <laughs> yeah. is a little bit much. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.